So the first Christmas Eve that Heather and I were living in New Jersey while I was uh, attending seminary, we decided that we were going to go down to Philadelphia for Christmas Eve worship. And I remember that day well. It was something like 60 degrees. And I thought, yeah, I know. And I thought, if that's what Christmas is going to be like, if that's what winter is going to be like on the East Coast, then I can certainly get used to that. But of course, it didn't stay that way, right? Uh, winter did eventually arrive to the East Coast, although they're not the, the same hardy stock Midwestern folks that we are. I remember one year we had a, we had a snow day for three inches of snow. That's just a normal winter day here in Michigan, right? So anyway, we went down to uh, Philadelphia for worship. It's about an hour drive there, about an hour drive back. And by the time we got back to town, we were hungry. Yeah, we, Heather and I have never really planned for big Christmas Eve dinners. When we lived in New Jersey, it was just the two of us living away from our families. Uh, Even now, I'm a pastor. I work on Christmas Eve. Um, we don't plan for these big, elaborate Christmas Eve dinners, so it's usually something simple. So last year, for example, we had frozen pizzas for Christmas Eve dinner, and it was amazing. It was the best pizza ever. <laughs> so we got back into town that night, and we were looking for a place to eat. And the only place that we could find open was the Wendy's drive through about a block from our apartment. And just as we got into the parking lot, just as I could start to taste the Dave's double I was about to eat, the ethical debate began. Was it fair? Was it just? Was it right for us to be ordering Wendy's on Christmas Eve, to have these minimum wage workers working when the rest of the world is calm and peaceful, when almost everybody else isn't working? Was it fair? Was it right? Was it just for us to participate in that? Now, Heather and I are no strangers to working on Christmas and Christmas, or Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Uh, after I graduated from college for a few years, I was a janitor at a health club, and I worked Christmas Eves then. And Heather, of course, is a nurse, and so she's worked plenty of Christmas Eves and plenty of Christmas Days. In fact, the whole reason why we weren't home with our families for that first Christmas we were in New Jersey was the fact that she had to work the next day. But her job feels somewhat more necessary, right, than a Wendy's drive through Hospitals don't close, police departments, fire departments, paramedics. Every, there are certain professions that need to be open. But did this Wendy's drive through need to be open on Christmas Eve? And so Heather and I debated back and forth whether or not we could actually go ahead and go through the drive through You know, we said things like, well, they're already working anyway. We might as well give them something to do. Or maybe they don't even celebrate Christmas. Maybe they're not even Christians. But even those who are not Christians, even those... Uh, who don't, don't celebrate Christmas, they still benefit from that one day a year where the world is quiet and peaceful and everybody seemingly is at rest. It's one of the things I love about Christmas Eve still is the fact that when I drive home after all of the busyness of Advent and the build-up to Christmas Eve service, that I go home and the world is still and calm, unlike any other day of the year. And yet here are these people working for minimum wage to flip burgers and to make fries. So no matter what justifications we could come up with, we said, no, it is not the just, right, and equitable thing for us to go through that drive through We went back home to our apartment, scrounged together some food, because again, we didn't prepare ourselves for this, and it was nowhere near as tasty as my Dave's double would have been. <laughs> now, maybe you're thinking I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, and maybe that's true. Whether or not Heather and I went through that drive through on Christmas Eve would not have changed the fact that that particular Wendy's location was open. But it did invite that, that question, one of the most important aspects 
of Sabbath rest, that the Sabbath is for everybody, that everybody is supposed to stop and to rest one day a week. And you've heard me say this at nauseam, and I'll probably continue to say it at nauseam, but in the Sabbath commandment, everybody stops. You, your sons and your daughters, your, in that society, your male and your female slaves, the foreigners living in your land, your animals, everybody stops and rests one day a week. And it's those people who are most vulnerable who are stopping and resting, that God gives this commandment to stop and rest, and it is the antithesis of the way of life that they experienced in Egypt. Because remember, in Egypt, they were the the commodities of Pharaoh. Pharaoh reduced them down to what they could do, what they could produce, what they could create for him. Straw had to be gathered, bricks had to be made, storehouses had to be filled, monuments and palaces had to be constructed. And all of it made Pharaoh and his inner circle exceedingly wealthy, while all of those easily exploited people had no share in all of that abundance. And so when God gives the Sabbath commandments... God names vulnerable people to ensure that they can participate in the rest that God offers. Folks who so easily could be left out of that, God says, make sure that they can rest. The Old Testament scholar Rolf Jacobson says that the Sabbath day is oppression interrupted. Oppression interrupted. It's an interruption to all of the oppressions of life, the oppressions of failing health, the oppressions of societal and systemic evils. It is the interruption to the oppressions of life, especially for those who are most vulnerable and for those who are often left out, marginalized, forgotten, not paid attention to. The Sabbath is a day of justice, a day of an equitable society. It's with all of that in mind that we join Jesus on the Sabbath day. Jesus spent most of his ministry in Galilee, the the rural regions of Galilee. And remember, Galilee is the region north of Jerusalem, north of all the powerful elites that lived in Jerusalem. And and Galilee is known as it was known at that time as a sort of hotbed for revolutionary ideas. That was where all of the people came from that wanted to throw aside, cast off the oppression of the the Roman occupation, and not just the Romans, but also to to throw out and get rid of all of those of their own people who were participating and benefiting and getting rich off of that occupation. And so Jesus, as he preaches in Galilee, he gathers this little populist following around himself of people who are ready for something new, ready for the kingdom of God to become real and apparent among them. And so Jesus is, as he often is, invited to the Sabbath or to the synagogue one Sabbath day, some synagogue somewhere, and he is the guest preacher as he often is. And as he's preaching, someone catches his eye. Someone who wasn't there when the service began. In fact, she was rarely there when the service began. It took her a long time to get ready in the morning. She was rarely there when the service began. That meant she never got a chance to talk to the folks that she worshipped with. She would walk at an agonizingly slow pace towards the synagogue every Saturday. And as Jesus is preaching, as he's building his sermon to this point that he's really ready to make, he stops. He stops and he notices this woman who has, what Luke says, 
bent over by a spirit. She has been bent over and she can hardly stand up. Jesus stops everything to attend to her and says, come to the front. She makes her way to the congregation. They move out of the way as she comes towards where Jesus is. And in my imagination, as the story unfolds, I imagine that Jesus gets down on her level because she can't stand up straight, gets down on her level so that he can look her in the eye, that human dignity that she has been missing for 18 years. He reaches out and touches her and says, woman, you are free from your ailment. And for the first time in nearly two decades, she stands up straight and she can look everybody in that synagogue in the eye. Imagine that was you. Imagine the deepest prayer of your own heart was answered, a prayer that perhaps you had long given up hope on that it would actually be answered. And there Jesus is in the middle of a worship service answering that deepest prayer of your heart. Joy, relief, excitement, all sorts of emotions I'm sure that she was experiencing. Because it's not just her body that was healed. It's also her spirit, that that return of human dignity, the fact that she could look everybody in the eye once again. But that relief is short-lived because the Sabbath police show up in the form of the synagogue leader, this pastor. This pastor has been watching and he's been listening as Jesus has been preaching. He was fine when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, fine when he was talking about love and justice and mercy, but when it happened on the Sabbath day, on the wrong day according to him, he can't abide by that. He starts stirring up his congregation. He starts whispering. He starts quoting the Bible at Jesus. Have you ever had someone quote the Bible at you to try and make a point? It's not fun. He says, there are six days on which you should work. Come back on one of those days to be healed. He's really kind of a big wet blanket on this whole scene, isn't he? And you would think that he would be excited. Perhaps this woman was a member of his congregation, and she had been on the prayer list for 20 years, almost 20 years. She finally gets healing. But it happens on the wrong day at the wrong time, according to him. But Jesus reframes and restructures this Sabbath, the synagogue leader's entire understanding of the Sabbath. He says, you hypocrites. Have you ever wondered if Jesus was only meek and mild and kind all the time? Just remember, he called people hypocrites in the middle of a church service. You hypocrites, he says. Don't you, if your ox or your donkey is thirsty, don't you untie them on the Sabbath and lead them to go and get something to drink? Shouldn't more consideration be given to this daughter of Abraham? This daughter of Abraham. Think back to our Genesis series over the summer, that that promise given to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. This woman who has been bent over for 18 years, she is one of those stars shining in heaven. Shouldn't more consideration be given to her? Because the Sabbath is a day for everybody, and it is especially a day of rest for those who are vulnerable and easily exploited, easily left out, easily unnoticed. And Jesus says that, by his actions, he says that unless those folks have an opportunity to participate in Sabbath rest, unless they have an opportunity to have their oppressions interrupted just as the rest of us do, unless they can participate the Sabbath is at risk for everybody else, then perhaps we're not actually able to participate in the rest that God offers. 
The fact that Jesus heals on the Sabbath is no accident. Everything that, I think we could safely say that almost everything Jesus does is intentional. It's not like it just occurred by happenstance. That Jesus heals on the Sabbath more than just here. I think it's six or seven other times in the Gospels. That Jesus is often in trouble for healing on the Sabbath. And the reason is, is that the classical rabbis talk about the Sabbath being a prefiguring, a vision of the olam haba. Can we say that? The olam haba. All right, we're going to have all kinds of Hebrew in our vocabulary by the time the sermon series is over. That's my goal. The Olam Haba, the world to come. Or as you've heard me say, the world as it could and should be. Or as Jesus believed in the kingdom of God, a world of justice and equity and peace and wholeness. I was reading one rabbi, he was saying that the Sabbath is not just a day of rest, but it is also a day of agitation. It agitates us because it makes us aware of all of those who are suffering, all of those who are oppressed, unjustly treated, left out, forgotten, marginalized. It makes us aware of of that. But it doesn't just agitate us for the sake of agitating us. That doesn't do anybody any good. It agitates us so that our awareness might become the fuel that drives us to make a difference, to change how things are. So is it any wonder then that Jesus heals on the Sabbath, Jesus who has this vision of the kingdom of God, Jesus whose hands reached out with kindness towards those who were hurting and broken, Jesus whose eyes filled with compassion for the left out and the forgotten of the world, Jesus whose whose heart burned with a fire for the kingdom of God, a fire for, for justice and equity and wholeness, for all of that to be realized in all of its fullness. Is it any wonder that Jesus healed on the Sabbath? He calls forth this idea of of justice being realized, this oppression interrupted, a a vision, a moment in time of the kingdom of God. There's a deceased Brazilian archbishop who was once quoted as saying, when I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they have no food, they call me a communist. And I think that that's the question, that's the sort of thing that gets Jesus in trouble. It's not just that he ate with the wrong people. It's not just that he healed on the Sabbath, but by doing those things, he questioned the very structures that exist and said, does it have to be that way? Because there are still many other daughters of Abraham in this world, still many people who are not able to participate in Sabbath rest. And Jesus, by healing on the Sabbath, says, is rest possible for them? How do we make rest possible for them? How do we create a society and a community around ourselves that ensures that all people can participate, especially those who are vulnerable, exploited, and left out? There are still the daughters of Abraham all around us. I'll never forget a conversation I overheard my last year in seminary. I would go down to this day shelter just outside of Philadelphia. I go down there every other week to offer the spiritual reflections. And uh, these folks would come in, they would receive breakfast. And I, and I remember hearing a group of them discussing one time, they, they said, we had breakfast here, and now th- these places are open for lunch and these places are open for dinner. And I remember thinking, how hard is it to rest? How hard is it to find a place of recovery and wholeness? If you're... Ha- constantly looking, constantly searching just to have your most basic daily needs met. 
Or what's been in debate recently in the national discourse is the minimum wage. Here in the state of Michigan, in order to afford a modest one-bedroom rental at 30% of your salary at minimum wage, which is the recommendation, 30% of your salary, it would take someone 61 hours a week of work to afford that. And if you're trying to afford a two-bedroom, so people who have families, it would take 77 hours a week of work. People working twice as much just to afford a place to live. How can you rest if you're constantly striving, constantly having to go from one job to the next just to have a roof over your head? Or for those who continue to suffer from racial injustice and racial oppression, there's an author named Mary Frances Winters, and she uh, discusses the idea that's known as black fatigue, the idea of exhaustion, of, war, of being worn out of, of illnesses of, of body, mind, and spirit that result from ongoing racial injustice. There's a, a group called the NAP Ministry. It was started by a black woman. She started this because she believes that resting, that taking a break from the oppressions that exist is a social and racial justice issue. We had this really profound conversation in uh, our Bible study, the first Bible study that we had, about what does it mean for our kids to rest, our, our elementary kids, our, our middle school, high school, college kids, what does it mean for them to rest when they are constantly having to go, constantly having to strive, constantly having to do? You know, they have to go to school, do their schoolwork, they have to be in 17 extracurricular activities, otherwise they're not going to get into the college they want, not going to get the career they want. It's exhausting. What does it mean for them to rest? What does it mean for them to participate in the Sabbath? Because the daughters of Abraham are still all around us. And the ability to practice the Sabbath, the ability for us to engage in the Sabbath, depends on the most vulnerable and the most exploited and the most uh, forgotten and marginalized around us. It depends on them also being able to participate in the Sabbath, participate in the rest that God offers. It invites us to ask that question, who in our society, who in our communities is not able to rest, is not able to participate in the Sabbath because they are constantly having to go, constantly having to strive? Who needs their oppression interrupted? Because what Jesus reminds us of this morning is that we are not in cahoots with Pharaoh and all the empires of history that would reduce people to simply what they can do and what they can produce and, and to, to do that and to wear them down until they can no longer go. But Jesus says, you are co-workers in the kingdom of God. These miracles that Jesus performs are not one-offs. The thing that amazes me about Jesus' miracles is that there were probably lots of other people in that room just like that woman. Considering the, the people that followed Jesus around everywhere he went, there were other people in that room. And so his healing of her was not supposed to be the end of the story. It was supposed to help us to recognize others like her who might not be able to rest. So how do we provide rest? How do we care for those who may not be able to take a break from the oppressions they endure? That is what the Sabbath invites us to, that we are co-workers with Jesus in bringing about the olam haba, the kingdom of God in all of its fullness, caring for, protecting, safeguarding those who are vulnerable and those who are heavy laden. Thanks be to God. Amen.